The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome. I don't think it is unknown that we use a smaller percentage of our brain than we have the ability to. And yet there are some people on the planet that seem to have almost a superhuman mind. They're individuals, creatives, or even idiot savants that come through that have these abilities that the average person doesn't seem to have, or do they? Do we all have the ability to access deeper parts of our brain and create in a more powerful way than we have been doing so? And what is required in order to do that? I'm very excited to have my guests on today that have written the book, The Superhuman Mind, Free the Genius in Your Brain. Dr. Barrett Brogard and Christian Marlowe have written this book and have conducted research studying people with astonishing mental abilities, virtuoso card counters, memory champions, and people who navigate the world using echolocation. In their lab, they also meet musical virtuosos, math savants whose genius suddenly appeared after a blow to the head, and synesthetes whose senses allow them to see numbers as colors, experience music as physical sensation, and even hear faces. In fact, Brogard herself has an unusual form of synesthesia, which once saved her life. So how do you tap into those very senses that we supposedly have? Is it something that you can grow? that you can increase, or that you can acquire just normal, everyday activities to start to tap into. Barrett Brogard is the director of the Brogard Lab for Multisensory Research at the University of Miami. She is also a synesthet. Her work on perception, synesthesia, blind sight, consciousness, neuropsychiatry, and emotion has been featured in media around the world. Christian Marlowe is the Associate Director of the Brogard Lab and a Fellow at the Initiative on Neuroscience and Law at Baylor College of Medicine. His work in collaboration with Dr. Brogard seeks to increase our understanding of how to develop the talent latent in every brain. I want to welcome you both, Barrett and Christian, to 1111 Talk Radio, and I want to dive right into this topic of the brain We are a species that has a larger frontal lobe than any other species we have evolved, and yet there's so much more about us that we are unaware of. Talk a little bit about Brogard Lab and what it is that you do there and the research that brought you to writing this book. So in the Brogard Lab, we started as a synesthesia lab. Uh, Synesthesia is a condition where the senses are bound together in unusual ways, so, for instance, there are people who hear colors, there are people who see letters printed in black as, as having specific colors, there are people who can sense the uh, emotions of others. 
And so we looked into people with synesthesia and found that some of them, particularly the ones with acquired synesthesia, so people who had developed synesthesia after brain incidents or accidents or brain disease, also had unusual abilities. So we started looking at people with unusual abilities uh, after brain injury or similar conditions and realized that these people were perfectly normal people before the brain injury, but then acquired these unusual abilities, which led us to think that maybe we all have these uh, capacities to develop these unusual abilities. So it's kind of assumed that people that are born with these extraordinary mental abilities, that, that that really is the case. They're born with them. They're not made, that they just operate in a different way than the rest of us, that they just happen to be blessed beyond us, or that they even get to pass the mundaneness of life or the drudgery of life in the way that we normally do things. Um, you write in the book that that's not, that couldn't be further from the truth, that these people um, are not uh, specifically just born with it, but that we all have the capabilities to access such methods. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so... When, what we discovered uh, in the lab was that people who have a brain injury, for instance, so we've looked at several individuals who had brain injuries. Uh, in, in most cases, of course, when people have a brain injury, nothing happens except some, some negative consequences. But in, in a few cases, uh, people develop savant-like abilities. Uh, savants are people with uh, unusual capacities or abilities that are sort of unusual in comparison to their overall abilities or IQ. And these individuals were not having any specific talents or any specific IQ or any specific um, capacity to do anything prior to the incident. So suddenly something in their brain um, rewired such that they were able to use and access capacities that apparently they they um, they did have before, but they were perfectly normal before. So it seems that we were sort of uh, thinking that maybe every one of us has those capacities as well. So how do we make people access those capacities, people who don't have those capacities currently? How do we access more areas of our brain? Um, how do we develop those areas of our brain? How do we develop... Uh, new structural connections in our brain, new functional connections in our brain. So that's what we set out to to discover, and that's sort of what, what led to the book. But, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's perfectly right that uh, a common belief is that people are sort of born with the capacities, abilities, and talents that they have. And if you're born with them, you either, you have them. And if you're not born with them, then you can you can uh, go through practice and training, and you can maybe become a little bit better. But you cannot uh, access those special abilities because you simply don't have them. That's a, that's a common belief. And what we write and say in the book is that that belief is false. Uh, that we that we all have the abilities, that the brain is so plastic or flexible that we all have the the ability to access. Um, the, those areas of the brain. So we have the, the capacities, but the, the trick or the question is how do we actually find ways to, to access those areas? 
So, Kristen, in listening to Barrett talk about um, that these are people that have had some sort of injury or something has happened, is it that the other senses are becoming stronger because of the deficiency of some part of the brain, um, or is it that it's it's truly awakening something inside of the brain different than what was there before? Well, uh, that's actually a great question, and I think it would depend sometimes on the kind of ability that was brought forth. So in, in many situations, it appears that damage to some structure, structure of the brain opens up a new pathway um, to an already active other area of the brain. So, uh, for example, there's, there's uh, there, uh, so one theory holds that uh, the right brain is the more creative side and the left brain is the more mathematical side. And, of course, we know now it's much more uh, complicated than that. But uh, we have seen that damage to the left side of the brain that seems to uh, at times suppress activity in the right side of the brain will, uh, will redu- remove that uh, suppressive activity and allow the right brain or, or artistic areas of the brain to shine. Um, in, in other cases, it appears that um, uh, because of damage to, to one pathway, uh, the brain uh, has to find new ways to remain connected and communicate um, uh, among all the different neurons of the brain, and so new connections will form and uh, in those situations, there might be some new type of experience that might emerge uh, because of that. So it seems to me that the brain is not much different than the soul journey or the life journey, that we grow as souls when we are willing to stretch or learn something new or move beyond what we have lived because of some type of challenge or obstacle or crippling effect in our life. And so in a sense, the brain uses shortcuts to expand and to grow, but it requires us to be willing to move into new places when it comes to our our minds and our learning as well. Is that part of what helps lead us to expanded senses and expanded abilities that that you're speaking about, Christian? Um, yeah, yes, it, that's uh, that's pretty much on point. That. Um, Basically, the, the brain um, is, is designed to process information, however it has to do so. And so um, when, when the old method um, is not possible, you know, to, provided that uh, so much of the brain isn't damaged that it's irreparable, it'll try to find new ways to process information. It'll try to find new ways to take the information that, that comes in and uh, figure out what to do with it. Um, so, uh, and that, that explains conditions like, uh, the ability for humans to echolocate. So some blind individuals are actually able to start navigating the world by sound, but, um, it, it's, they're not just sensing the environment, um, as auditory information. They appear to be, um, actually processing it in the visual cortex of the brain, the area that's normally responsible for processing visual information. And uh, people who uh, have that experience uh, report that it's, it's visual-like. They actually have visual-like um, experiences. So that, that's just one example where the brain is taking one kind of information and uh, processing it in a new way. 
Barrett, as Christian was speaking about that and, and about someone having a, a challenge with sound and then going into the visual cortexes of the brain, I started to think about the imagination. And and if, if there were mm-hmm. certain challenges, our first place we tend to go is to begin to imagine so that we can start to feel into a new area of life or a new way of creation. Is imagination part of the pathway towards synesthesia or some of these other senses where we allow ourselves to blend them and, and open up, um, I guess, the bridges between them? Yeah, definitely. Imagination is, is uh, one of the, the passages that we have for expanding the brain in various ways, and it could be used, as you mentioned, in personal development as well as to uh, develop things like synesthesia and to work on problem solving. It can also uh, be used to change our personality, which is a newer project that we are uh, currently working on. Uh, but for for the case of synesthesia, that is one of the ways uh, that we can develop something like synesthesia by practicing associating new things with each other. So mere associations that we use in imagination, of course, will not develop synesthesia because that's the more those connections in synesthesia are more stable. But by using imagination and imagining uh, new things combined in new ways and doing that consistently, we might form more stable connections that resemble those connections that we find in synesthesia. And so when we, we look at that aspect of thought versus conscious thought, how do you balance between what requires conscious thought and what requires this more nebulous area of diving into almost being a new identity or a new person or a new way of being than what you were used to? If you make, if you make a voluntary choice to make a change, then the initial exercises that you will go through will be conducted on a conscious level but the idea is to make those associations or those heuristics unconscious or automatic, as we also say. And when they're made automatic, that means that you don't use your consciousness or your willpower to exercise those abilities. You just exercise them without thinking about it. And so that's what we see in people with, who learn, for instance, uh, synesthesia, sometimes it can, um, for instance, be a book that where the different letters in the book are printed in different colors and the research participants are asked to, to read those books uh, over two weeks, so every day over two weeks. And, of course, initially, I mean, they have to read the book, so they have to engage in some kind of conscious activity in order to, to learn the synesthesia but then after the two weeks, uh, the associations that they're making are not in any way conscious. They are, they are unconscious or automatic. So they don't sort of go away when they don't think about it. Uh, they're still there, and they will still present themselves even when they're not thinking about it explicitly. We also have uh, a more recent case where uh, a subject was sort of, instead of just reading a book where letters were printed in colors, we're forming, we're using her imagination to form new connections between different things. So, for instance, between emotions and sounds, um, and between tastes and smells. And, and she ended up actually having what we call quasi synesthesia, which means that she 
uh, scored positive on one of many of the features that we see of synesthesia. Among other things, he no longer had conscious awareness of associating the different things, for instance, emotions um, and, and sounds. And to use those abilities to, uh, to be more creative and started writing, writing poetry. Uh, so that was similar to, um, in a smaller way, but similar to what we saw in the people who had acquired synesthesia after brain injury. So the imagination can definitely be used to make uh, great, greater changes uh, in the brain. And the same also goes for, for things like uh, personal development and changes in personality, where you can also use your imagination to actually make and create those changes in your personality and in the way that you look at life. In The Superhuman Mind, Brogard and Christian Marlowe delve into the neurological underpillings of the fellow synesthetes, some of who can taste colors, feel music, and hear faces, and also introduce us to card counters and memory champions, blind people who navigate the world using echolocation, musical virtuosos, math geniuses, and more. As amazing as the abilities of these superhuman minds are, the real takeaway is that they are not, in fact, mysterious. In reading about these unique individuals, we learn that they all have in common an innate aptitude that will indeed lie dormant in the great majority of us. Be it supercharged creativity or lightning-fast math skills, we all have the potential to unleash our inner genius. Brogard and Marlowe show us how, and they can show you how you can take the steps to expanding your brain. You can find out more about Christian Marlowe, Barrett Brogard, and the book, The Superhuman Mind, at the website, www.brogardlab.com. That's B-R-O-G-A-A-R-D-L-A-B.com. And the book is available on Amazon. We'll be right back with Christian Marlowe and Barrett Brogard. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. 1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized. 
so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. If the financial markets interest you, if you want to potentially earn a higher return, if you're not satisfied with your investment returns, or if you're only making 1% on your investments sitting in the bank, do you see the stock market hitting record highs but feel you have no one to trust? Voice America's own Jordan Kimmel, the host of Magnet Investing for over seven years, is applying his strategies of magnet investing and is managing individual accounts. Jordan Kimmel has joined InvestView, the Red Bank, New Jersey investment education and asset management firm and his team can help you. Contact Jordan and the team at InvestView at 732-380-7271 or by email at jkimmel at investview.com. If you would like a complimentary portfolio review or to speak to a representative, Call us. Past performance of investments are not indicative of future results. Investing is inherently risky. All recommendations should be researched by the investor. Call InvestView at 732-380-7271. That's 732-380-7271. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. In the superhuman mind, Brogard and Marlowe take us inside the lives of brains of geniuses savants, virtuosos, and a wide variety of ordinary people who have acquired truly extraordinary talents to show us that superhuman mental ability, such as perfect pitch, lightning-fast mathematical circuit calculation, and supercharged creativity is not a singular attribute reserved for a lucky few. It's probably something closer to an innate aptitude that lies dormant in a great majority of us. Filled with fascinating science and exhilarating promise, the superhuman mind reveals the neurological underpinnings of extraordinary ability, showing how we, too, can begin to access the genius within. My guests today are Christian Marlowe, who is an associate director of the Brogard Lab and a fellow at the Initiative on Neuroscience at the Law and Law at Baylor College of Medicine. Dr. Barrett Brogard is the director of the Brogard Lab for Multisensory Research at the University of Miami, and their book, is the superhuman mind. You can find out more at brogardlab.com. That's B-R-O-G-A-A-R-D-L-A-B.com. Welcome back. Christian, I want to direct the next question to you. We are often taught that as children, our brains grow to a certain capacity. We have a certain number um, of, of neurons and cells that we grow, that our neural nets at a certain point is, is grown as much as it can. But that's not the case. We can continue to grow our neural nets even beyond our 18th birthday. It's not like it just all of a sudden stops and then we no longer can grow any new brain cells. We have the capacity for so much more. Can you talk a little bit about that as opposed to what so many have believed in the past? Uh, that, that's correct. So, so in the past, it, it, uh, many people believed that we had a set number of brain cells 
And um, while our brain mass it, itself, or the area that it, it takes up in the skull, is, remains the same, the number of actual neurons, which are the units that communicate among each other in the brain, um, are constantly changing. So over time, you have natural uh, neuron death, and then that's replaced with new, new neurons. And then in areas of the brain that you're they're using more or, or neurons that are being used more um, tend to stick around longer, and neurons that are not being used um, um, uh, break apart and go away. So um, as we stimulate different areas of the brain or different capacities, um, the underlying neuronal structure will reinforce itself to um, um, to basically make the brain more efficient at processing that type of information. So one example is in the uh, uh, auditory cortex uh, is connected to the uh, motor cortex um, when um, in, in the way that where people who practice uh, their musical skills over time uh, be, become more um, dexterous in the you know, area, in the part of the brain that controls the corresponding area of the body. So piano players tend to have um, um, a very efficient connection between the the, um, the the fingers that play the piano and the motor cortex, and then the kind of musical pathway. So, um, I mean, there's one example of it, but it it works in many other modalities in sports, etc. So we we know that neurons that wire together fire together, and if we have the ability to to really align those neurons and that neural net to start going in a certain capacity. The brain, the body doesn't really know the difference between imagination and what is real. And so if we allow our brains then to start wiring and firing in a direction with our imagination to, uh, let's say, be a, an incredible athlete or, or grow muscles or um, be a, a particular, uh, excel at something in particular, Will we actually create that experience not only in our brain but also in our bodies? Um, yes, I mean, it, it, I, I think um, it. As far as we know, in in the in the hard science realm, uh, we know psychologically that's the case. So we know that, for example, a behavioral therapy for people who have certain types of compulsive disorders works because. Um, a therapist will bring you through um, imagining different scenarios that cause you to feel anxious. And over time, um, as, you, as you get comfortable imagining it, you become more comfortable in, in the real realm. And that does make a real change in, in your brain and in your body. Um, I think where it's a little more, or, or where it's not disproven, but the question is how you would you know, how you would get these neurons to fire together it tends to be more in the muscular realm or in the um, physical ability realm where it's not quite clear yet how um, thinking about using your muscles is the same thing as, or imagining using your muscles is the same thing as using it. I would say that that is, it's more difficult to give a prescription for how you do that. But uh, what we do know is that for example, when you are using certain muscles and you deliberately think about the way in which you're using them, that will help your body uh, single out that muscle and exercise it better. Now, uh, there, when we look at, at the expansion of this and, and talking about the way Christian said that we 
focus on using the muscles and we focus on the thoughts and, and expanding the brain in that direction, what impact does worry or confusion or different things that plague the average human being, what impact does that play on not allowing us to use these ex- extra parts of our brain? So worries and anxiety and depression uh, affect particular parts of the brain. Uh, so the amygdala is, is usually affected. Also the prefrontal cortex and the communication between the amygdala, which is sort of the, uh, the emotional brain, and the prefrontal cortex is, is sort of the interpreter of the emotional brain. And worries and confusion and anxiety and depression can affect those areas and can actually make those areas smaller. So what uh, what has been found is that people who are very anxious, uh, sometimes they have fewer connections in certain parts of the brain, and that includes the prefrontal cortex. So it can negatively affect the brain um, to have those anxieties and worries. Uh, but the good news, of course, is that we can um, use techniques and methods to combat those anxieties and the confusion um, and and in that way we can strengthen the connections and prevent the, the decline of the cognitive powers. And when it comes to sleep, there, what role does that play in allowing us to expand or contract the use of our brains and is there a certain set number of sleep for everybody, or are we all different, especially as people move into some of these higher capabilities? We all a little bit different. So it's not that we all have the same underlying matter. We have different areas are, are, are developed more or less from birth, and also there are genetic factors that play in in terms of what our brains look like. But we are not different in terms of um, how plastic our brains are usually. I mean, that maybe we are marginally different in that in that regard, but we we can all actually change our brains. Um, in some people might require it might require more effort for some people than other people. But in terms of how many areas we can actually access, um, that is pretty much the same for for everyone. What kinds of exercises we will need to do that, that might vary a lot from individual to individual. I'll direct this question to to whoever wants to answer it, but I know that a lot of people, particularly as they deepen their spirituality, meditation is a huge part of, of moving into a deeper connection. Oftentimes people that meditate are doing so for the acquiring of such States such as synesthesia, they want to have these experiences that seem otherworldly or, or out of body or different types of things. Is meditation one of the, the practices that is used to acquire these sorts of states, or is that somehow just a coincidence in some cases? Yeah, that, that has actually been uh, been shown scientifically as well, that meditation is a, a, a way to actually acquire synesthesia and other abilities. So what happens in in meditation is that you are controlling your brain uh, frequencies. So you learn to to lower your brain frequencies and also being you are more in conscious control of 
uh, the the firing rates of of your of your brain. So people worry a lot uh, since you have more right brain um, activity in the frontal areas, and people who worry less uh, seem to be more sort of uh, equally distributed. The energies seem to be equally distributed. So in meditation, what you do is that you lower your um, your worries by lowering your sort of your your firing rates in certain areas of your brain. And what we don't know is how that sometimes leads to synesthesia, but it has been shown in some um, experienced meditators that they were able to develop synesthesia. Uh, so that is uh, one case that, that has uh, shown that, that meditation can lead to synesthesia, for instance. And when we look at dreaming, how similar, uh, Christian, is dreaming to meditation in terms of the conscious use of manipulating the thoughts or even controlling the actions of the dream versus meditation where we're wanting to let go of any thoughts or any control? Well, it's, it, that's very interesting because with, uh, with dreaming, and I would say probably uh, we, uh, we talk a lot in the book about lucid dreaming, which is, the, um, is basically the, the realization that you're dreaming um, and uh, People who lucid dream, in some cases, uh, control their own dreams. In, in other, in other cases, they uh, kind of sit back and, and watch the show unfold. But all with you know, with uh, hanging on to the realization that uh, they're not in waking life. Um, I mean, I would think that they're that you're you're approaching kind of the same type of goal in in different ways. So in in dreaming. Um, you have more of a, a, a conscious, uh, a, a full experience. So you're you're, you're growing your mind through um, actually paying attention to um, kind of the big picture of the scenery in front of you. Whereas in meditation, uh, you're, you're much more focused on trying to uh, ignore all of those distractions and just center in on your conscious self. So, Christian, can you explain to people the alpha, beta, and theta states and what state are, are people in when they're actually tapping into synesthesia or some of these other uh, methods of expanding the brain? Well, I mean, they, they could be tapping in, I mean, technically in all states. Uh, in uh, synesthesia, I mean, it, it's, it's the, the main crux of the condition is that you have this kind of cross-wiring of the senses, that, that two senses or two um, types of sensory experience that don't normally go together um, uh, is paired together. And so um, that's something that could um, ar- arise in any of those states, including during the dream state or, or, or perhaps um, during some, some of the meditative type experiences that people have. Barrett, would you talk a little bit about um, the the course of someone that was just an average person that you have done some work with, some research with, that that was able to develop some of the synesthetic qualities? How did they begin that, and what was the course of action that you took them through to deepen their ability to know that about themselves? Yeah, so, so we have many cases, so I can talk a little bit about uh, a recent case of a person with um, 
traumatic uh, brain injury and also post-traumatic uh, stress disorder first, and then I can talk a little bit about a person who more con- went into it more consciously. So Lee Essek uh, was a farmer who uh, basically was managing a whole farm. She was feeding chickens in Colorado when she suddenly slipped and fell down the mountain and landed. Luckily, she landed in a tree. Otherwise, um, she probably would not have been alive. She had to be cut out of the tree and was flown with helicopter to a trauma hospital. And they focused on getting her mobility back. But she also had traumatic brain injury. And um, afterwards, she developed synesthesia, primarily um, sound, what we call sound color synesthesia. So she's uh, seeing colors when she's hearing sounds. When she's hearing music, for instance, uh, she's uh, seeing colors. She's seeing the music in colors. But she also took up um, painting. And what's interesting about her case is that she, she lost conscious access to her emotions. So even though she probably has emotions under the level of conscious awareness, she is not able to sort of interpret those emotions and she's not able to actually understand the emotions. So she uses the synesthesia and uh, the painting, the drawing to express some of those emotions. So she can sort of paint the emotions and she can sort of uh, get a sense of those emotions through her synesthesia but she can't really feel them the way that most people feel their emotions. Now, that happened because of her uh, brain injury, which led to structural changes in the brain, and so it developed some new connections and some new access to areas of her brain that she didn't have access to before. But we also had some um, recent cases where people went into it more uh, consciously. So... What they used in that case was, the most recent case was actually imagination. So we had uh, them imagine uh, different things going together. So one subject, for instance, was imagining love, her her sort of love life or her love situation, um, together with uh, certain kinds of sounds. So one sound was sort of the, the, the hissing sound of boiling uh, water sort of boiling over in a pot. And, and that's sort of already, of course, metaphorical for her, but that was sort of what led her to begin to write poetry and also to deal with some personal problems uh, in her life. And what was interesting was that she developed, so even though she started out using the imagination, she actually did develop some of those quasi-synesthetic uh, connections that we can test for. So she had certain connections between, also between sounds and colors that we could actually go in and test for. And, and, um, and so her connections became unconscious or automatic over time, even though she went into it sort of was own willpower and consciousness. One way of tapping the potential of our super brain, if we choose to, will be through intentional and deliberate effort to apply our existing artistic, mathematical, musical, or other skills to learning new abilities, such as calendar calculating, lucid dreaming, or adding to our everyday memory capacity using specific mental imagery techniques. In short, our efforts to explore, understand, and harness this most complex organ and capacity in the human body the brain will not only enhance our everyday functioning, but will propel us further than ever 
toward maximizing both brain and human potential. To that end, The Superhuman Mind is a book that provides a trailblazing menu. The authors are Barrett Brogard and Christian Marlowe, and you can find out more at brogardlab.com. We'll be right back with Barrett Brogard and Christian Marlowe. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. I invite you to visit my website, IamSimron.com. The brand new issue of 1111 Magazine will be releasing on February the 29th. And the direction that we are heading now is to really bridge the gap between the dark and the light. There are a lot of experiences going on in the world that can be hard and challenging, difficult to understand, and difficult to reconcile. Now is the time to understand that each of these experiences that are taking place in our lives are a message and a communication as to how we each can be in the world. What is it that needs to rise up within us? What are we inspired to do? And how can we take inspired action in our own lives to be the change that we wish to see? I invite you to visit the website and get your uh, free gift of 1111 Magazine's first issue, in addition to any of the other things that I offer and the archived editions of 1111 Talk Radio that are always available to you to listen to at any time that you need. My guests today are the authors of The Superhuman Mind, Free the Genius in Your Brain. It is Dr. Barrett Brogard and Christian Marlowe, and they are here speaking on synesthets and the different experiments and individuals that they have dealt with over time to do the research over this type of brain information that they've shared in the book, The Superhuman Mind. 
Christian, I'd like to talk a little bit about where this type of research is heading. Where are we going when it comes to the brain and wanting to understand synesthetes and the expansion of the brain? Where does it go beyond just a research factor? Well, I mean, where we're at now is, I mean, a, a few a few things. So, first of all, I mean, I, I think that uh, the human brain is now become, is kind of the focus of, of many people's hobbies and interests. I mean, so many people now are, are interested in this topic, um, I think because we're finally at the point in, in uh, brain science that we're, um, we're, we're moving forward very, very quickly. So I think that uh, we're definitely now, this is definitely the era of the brain and expanding our own consciousness. Um, I think on the research side, um, now, uh, uh, many of our colleagues are interested in, including us, uh, figuring out how we can tap into some of these, uh, uh, these plastic abilities of the brain. Um, so, um, for example, uh, people now are starting to think about how we can enhance our own um, brain activity and capacity by using electronic devices, and um, it's looking like some... Um, uh, there's a few different uh, a bill, um, few different kind of uh, um, interfaces that are coming to the market now that are allowing uh, your brain waves or, or your um, brain activity to interface with electronic devices um, that can in turn enhance um, the type of information your your brain processes. Um, and then, of course, there's um, um, ongoing research in areas of different um, drugs and vitamins to increase brain capacity. And then finally, um, people are coming up with different um, methods of um, kind of brain exercises, if you will, to expand consciousness. So when we, when we talk about some of those different pieces that you brought up, for instance, vitamins and supplements and medications, and we look at the world and you know, our intake of coffee or processed foods or the different things that so many people take in. Talk about the effects of what those types of things are having on the development of the brain versus uh, are there benefits really to the vitamins and supplements that are that are being taken in and, and what's the balance between the two? Well, I mean, that's, that's a very... Uh, um, that's a hotbed of, of research right now. We do know that from a, um, a, a life expectancy standpoint, um, it, it doesn't look like the daily multivitamin is, is really benefiting, and there's been some studies that have come out just showing that, in fact, um, um, there might be a decrease in life, you know, a small decrease in life expectancy. But the issue um, with, with that um, might center on the fact that a lot of these supplements are unregulated, so it's hard to know if um, you know, every supplement, um, even though it says it contains this vitamin, really does. And so that's a whole other issue. Um, but on the on the brain side, um, you know, we have recently there's some research out that's showing that certain things that we eat or certain types of foods um, can um, um, hinder um, your brain development or brain capacity. So I mean, there's um, there's some research out there to show that uh, a diet very heavy in carbohydrates is very problematic for um, um, for your brain and as well as for other parts of the body. And then 
um, some different um, supplements, especially some of the, um, well, some drugs, some prescription drugs um, have a lasting long-term effects. And, um, and, and one of those drugs that's not currently prescription is caffeine. Uh, you know, I think that uh, we are very over-reliant on caffeine now to, uh, to keep ourselves going during the day and into the night. And, um, and that clearly has some disadvantages for um, the long-term health of your brain. Uh, so the question now is going to be how do we supplement those sorts of supplements uh, with something that you know, allows us to trudge along in our daily lives but also uh, uh, you know, help enhance our, our brain capacity and not diminish it. Barrett, when we look at children and we look at the degree of autism and ADD and all the different things that are happening, there's some studies that say that that autism and, and the new children that are coming in, it is already the evolution of the brain taking place, that it is changing into a faster way, and that even the, the electronics that are coming in are helping children get to a place where eventually there will be more and more mental telepathy and those types of things. When you look at these types of issues that are coming up in children, what is your research telling you? Uh, our research is, is telling us that uh, certain conditions called disorders may not be disorders. So the intense world theory about autism is basically that many of the symptoms of autism, so the negative symptoms, are due to a brain that functions uh, better in some sense or faster in some sense than the average brain. So there is some evidence that when um, autistic children uh, shut out the external environment and their parents and their peers, it's because it's so intense. The brain processing is so intense that it, it literally hurts them to if they allow too much input to enter the brain. So they're trying to shut that out. And sometimes the other symptoms, like um, the the need to have a regular schedule, the need to, to engage in certain activities in a, a certain order, maybe ways of dealing with that sort of processing, that intense, fast processing. So there's some evidence that at least some cases of autism are cases like that. Of course, autism is, is I mean, it's called autism spectrum disorder for a reason because there's not one underlying cause of all cases of autism. But in many cases where people with autism are thought to be severely disabled, um, they are actually sort of looking more disabled than they actually are and are capable of, of processing information a lot faster than other people but can't handle um, the input, can't deal with it because it, it makes them anxious or makes them uncomfortable or it literally gives them pain. Um, that, of course, is not necessarily the case with, uh, with, with all disorders, but specifically with respect to, um, to autism. Uh, that, that was one theory that we, we talked a little bit about in the book and one theory that we have explored in, in our lab. Um, with respect to ADHD, um, something similar may be the case, though in that, in that case, uh, it's certainly uh, clear that people who really have ADHD can benefit from 
from medications. So there might be more of a biochemical um, effect that can be easily corrected in, in those cases. But there may also be cases that are not that are diagnosed as, say, cases of ADHD or cases of autism that really are not cases of that, but really are the effects of, of the current diet and the way that that children um, usually eat nowadays. So, so the diet is, is really deficient in in many ways. So even even children who get more than enough calories sometimes have a deficient diet and they don't get the nutrients that they actually need. And that will affect the brain in, in ways that might resemble some of these uh, disorders. And maybe they are actually um, the same disorders or, or could be placed in the same category, but the cause may be completely different. Do you believe that our brain is a naturally evolving organ for us? Are we just simply moving from a place where we have been the basic computer, we've utilized the mind as a general computer for storing, for processing, for building patterns, and we are now at a time where truly for those that desire to and, and consciously put in the efforts that we can move into the supercomputer mind, that we really can, each and every one of us, with the appropriate guidance and, and allowing our, our brains the capacity to move into better nutrition, more sleep, deeper imagination, more rest, um, and even more openness and focus that we can each have the superhuman mind. Yes, I, I think that, uh, that we, we can have a superhuman mind. I mean, it may take more efforts than, than just um, nutrition and sleep, but maybe also, as you mentioned, um, deeper imagination and some guided effort in, in terms of um, focusing on some specific areas. So one thing that uh, is characterizing today's society is that most people spread themselves too thin. And what you see in a, a lot of the people with uh, autism who also have savant skills and the people who have developed savant skills after injuries is that they, they become more deeply focused on a particular area um, and a particular uh, thing that interests them. And um, many people are simply spreading themselves too thin, so they have no particular area that they're sort of uh, diving into and developing. And and if you don't really get deeply into a particular area, your, your brain is just going to use established connections. Uh, so whatever is familiar to the brain is going to use uh, those connections, and it's not going to develop any new brain connections or or new neurons in, in um, new areas, except for what is required of the brain, just sort of on a daily basis. Well, I want to thank you both for being on 1111 Talk Radio and really appreciate you writing the book, The Superhuman Mind. You can find out more about Barrett Brogard and Christian Marlowe at brogardlab.com. Go ahead and get a copy of the book on Amazon, The Superhuman Mind, Free the Genius in Your Brain. My guest next week is Barbara Marks Hubbard, and we are going to be talking about how to make changes in this world as we face the many crises and things that are taking place here. How do we grow consciousness, and how do we have hearts of compassion? Until next week, I am Simmering, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well.
Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Zimron next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.